<laughs> well, it seems so simple, doesn't it? If you don't have the money, you don't buy it. Now, if it really were that simple for all of us, we wouldn't need this series, would we? And it's not really quite that simple for all of us, is it? I don't know if you've heard the story about uh, Dan. He was a young single guy who was still uh, living at home and he was working in the family business. And uh, he learned one day that his father was going to die within just a few months and he was going to inherit millions of dollars. And so he thought to himself, you know, I really need a wife to uh, share this wealth with. So he, he really began to kind of look around. He was at an investment meeting just a few days later, and he noticed this beautiful woman across the room. I mean, her beauty was just breathtaking. So after the meeting, he went up and he introduced himself, and in the conversation he said, you know, I seem like just an ordinary guy, but in just a matter of months when my dad dies, I am going to inherit $20 million. The lady said, that's very interesting. And she was quite interested. She uh, took his business card and three days later, she became his stepmother. Yeah. yeah. It takes a minute, doesn't it? Women seem to be better at planning for the future than men do. I don't know. Well, I want to welcome you to week two of our series, The ABCs of Financial Success. And I really think this is one of the more important series that we have done here at Crosspoint during our two-year history. I also realize that this kind of series creates a battle that goes on within our minds. On the one hand, we want some help with our finances, and we, we want to find, we want to figure out how does God's plan work for my life. On the other hand, there is this battle that goes on because in our minds we think, does this really work? I mean, God's plan for our finances seems so counterculture that it's hard to really get our minds around it, and we wonder, can I really trust this? Is this really going to work for me? And I want to tell you this morning that part of that battle that goes on in our lives comes from Satan, the, the devil. The Bible says that the, the Satan came to earth to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the easiest ways that he can steal or destroy our freedom, our joy, our sense of peace, is to lure us into the trap of financial bondage. So I want to say to you this morning, I understand if you feel a bit of anxiety or apprehension or there is a struggle going on in your mind over these issues, I want to tell you you're not alone. I don't think it's unusual for us to struggle with those things. And I want to tell you that I think part of that struggle is caused by Satan. And I want you to identify that this morning. And last week we began the series by talking about the A, which stood for attitude. And we said last week that if we're going to really have a change in our financial condition, it begins by changing our attitude toward money. We pointed out a couple of myths that we often buy into about money and stuff. One of those myths is the myth of ownership. We buy into the myth that we own everything, right? That all of our stuff that we keep at our house is ours. But the reality we learned last week is that our stuff is really owned by God. And He's just been kind enough to allow us to manage it or to take care of it while here, we're here on earth. And when we have that change and understand my stuff really is God's, it creates a different perspective. Secondly, last week, we said there is the myth of two masters. We have this idea that I can follow God and say God is in control of my life and at the same time allow money to control my life. The reality is the Bible says it's got to be one or the other. Either God's going to be in control and we follow Him and follow His plan, or money will control our lives and will let our culture's plan drive our lives. 
Today, I want us to talk about the idea of bondage. How do we break free from the bondage of debt in our lives? Now, debt is an interesting thing. If you think about this, for most of us, if you go back just to our grandparents, and for some of us, maybe back to our great-grandparents, just really a very short period of time, the attitude about debt was totally different. Back in the day of our grandparents or great-grandparents, the idea of the store carrying you, that's what they called credit back then, the idea of the store carrying you, well, that was embarrassing. The whole idea of being in debt to anyone, well, you just didn't do it. In fact, I asked some people from that generation this week about their attitude towards debt, and, and they affirmed what I'm saying, that absolutely, back when they were younger, the idea of carrying debt was not common. Nobody wanted to have debt. And yet, in this very short period of time, think about the transition that has taken place and the way that we see debt today. In fact, if you don't have debt today, people kind of think that's strange. We've gone through a dramatic transition. Debt has been sold to us so aggressively, so loudly, and so long that we have bought into the idea that everybody ought to have debt. In fact, we can't imagine life without debt. We can't picture a car without a payment, a house without a mortgage, school without a loan, credit without a card. We have bought into the idea that debt is just part of life. And we can't imagine living life without making some kind of payment. Now, the credit card companies like this, do you know that in the last year, credit card companies have put in your mailbox things like this that I've received tons of to the tune of six billion pieces of mail trying to get you to buy credit or to have credit cards. Our national consumer debt is now $2.4 trillion dollars. Now, that's not the national debt. That's not our government's debt. That is our consumer debt. $2.4 trillion. I heard about a three-year-old that received an offer for a Visa Platinum card in the mail. Her mother was intrigued by it, so she filled out the form, put the girl's name on it, wrote Occupation Toddler, uh, left the income blank down towards the bottom. She wrote this, uh, I would like to buy some toys with a credit card, but I'm only three and my mom says no. Her mom mailed it away, and don't you know, within a matter of weeks, her Visa Platinum card arrived in the mail as a three-year-old. I don't know if she's out on a spending spree yet today or not. We are in the bondage of debt. There is no arguing about it. We are. The question is, how do we deal with it? Now, I want us to clarify up front today why it is that we end up in debt. Why do we find ourselves in this situation? I think one reason simply is circumstances. And I want you to hear this, okay? Not everybody who is here this morning and not everybody in our culture who finds themselves in debt is there because they have made bad decisions. Sometimes they are there as a result of circumstances. For instance, maybe they had saved for emergencies, but they encountered some kind of emergency that was way beyond their imagination and they landed in debt because of it. Maybe their spouse walked out on them and left them with the bills and they are in Debt today simply to keep the lights on in their house. Maybe they have encountered some kind of catastrophic illness in their family and it has plunged them into debt. And if that is your situation today, then please do not let anything that we say today make you feel guilty. That is not the intention. But I do think that we'll talk about some principles this morning that can begin to help you dig out from the debt that you find yourself in. 
a second reason that a lot of us, and this is the bigger group of us this morning, the reason that we find ourselves in debt is because we have made some poor decisions and we've asked the wrong question. Instead of asking, can I afford it, which is the right question, we have been asking the question, can I afford the monthly payments? That's the wrong question. Now, our consumer culture drives us to think that we, it's okay if we buy things that we really can't afford. We've bought the lie that we can have it now and pay for it later. We think, hey, if I want it, I ought to have it, and I ought to have it right now. That's our theme song for a lot of us, isn't it? I want it all, and I want it now. In fact, there's a popular commercial. If you probably have seen it on TV, it kind of disgusts me, the whole mentality of the commercial that goes with that song. Dun & Bradstreet says that the average person who has a credit card, if they go shopping and use their credit card, they are likely to spend 12 to 18% more on that shopping spree than if they were using cash. Yeah, 12 to 18% more if we're using a credit card. Simply because we bought into this idea, I'm going to ask the question, can I afford it? Or can I afford the monthly payment? Instead of asking, can I afford it? Secondly, our third reason is we are careless. Yeah, we're just careless sometimes. And we just spend money. We don't have a plan for spending money. We just spend. If I ask a lot of you how much you spent this week on eating out or on groceries, you probably couldn't tell me. We don't have a plan. If I ask you, how much did you spend last year on entertainment or on gifts? You wouldn't know if you're like me. Because we don't have a plan. We just spend money. And then we try to figure out at the end of the month where it all went. We don't have a plan. We're careless. And a lot of us find ourselves in debt this morning simply because of those three reasons. I want you to think about the, the nation of Israel for a minute. Their story is recorded in the Old Testament of the Bible. In fact, a large portion of the Old Testament contains the story of the people of Israel. And if you read their story, you will find they kind of found themselves in this cycle. A cycle of being in bondage or in captivity or being slaves to someone else. And they would live that way for a while and then they'd say to God, God, we're sorry, get us out of this mess. And he'd get them out of captivity. And before long, you'd find that once again, they were kind of back in those same places. Do you know why they kept finding themselves in captivity, in bondage? Because they didn't listen to God. They had this idea that their way was better than God's way. That they were smarter than God. And what was the result of that kind of thinking? They ended up in bondage as slaves. And a lot of times I think we find ourselves in bondage because we have begun for whatever reason, to think that I'm smarter than God. That my way of doing my finances is better than God's way of handling my finances. And because we've bought into that, we find ourselves in the bondage of debt. So let me uh, talk about what does God then have to say about debt. Let me point out three or four principles right from the Bible today that God has to say about debt. Here's number one. First, debt makes you a servant or a slave to someone else. Debt makes you a servant or a slave to someone else. 
Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. It says, the rich rule over the poor, and then underline this next part, and the borrower is servant to the lender, or the borrower becomes a slave, is held captive by the lender. When you go into debt, you lose your freedom. Debt creates an obligation. It becomes a, a trap that a lot of people never get out of. So when we go into debt, the Bible says, we become a slave or a captive. In fact, I looked uh, in the thesaurus this week for uh, words for the word debt. I I want you to look at this list of words with me. In fact, let's read these out loud together, okay? These are words that describe debt. Here we go. Obligation, encumbrance, in the red, pound of flesh, arrears, inability to pay, built, bound, some more, beholden, mortgage to the hilt, hard up, beaten down, financially embarrassed, strapped, fleeced, busted. Now, I don't know about you, but do you really desire for somebody to use those kinds of words to describe you? I I don't. I don't want people to look at me and go, oh, look, fleeced, busted, built. But you know what? When I am in debt, and especially when I have chosen to get there by my own poor choices, that is exactly what's true of my life. Debt puts us in bondage. And you know what? You won't really know how much bondage you're in until you get out of it. And then you'll understand how difficult it's been. Have you heard of uh, Tax Freedom Day? I think last year it was April 30th, and Tax Freedom Day stands for the day of the year that we finally have earned enough money to pay our tax burden. So for most Americans, we spend the first four months of the year earning enough money just to pay our taxes, and then the rest of the year is our money. I wonder if we had a debt freedom day, when would that be? How much of the year do you spend earning money just to pay off your debt? And then how much of the rest of the year is just your money that you're free to do with whatever? When would your debt freedom day be? Well, there is another thing the Bible teaches about debt. The Bible teaches this. It is a sin to borrow and not repay. That's what the Bible says. Psalm 37 verse 21 says, The wicked, or we could put the word sinful in there, the wicked borrow and do not repay. It says this in Psalm or Proverbs chapter 3. Don't withhold repayment of your debts. Don't say some other time. If you can pay now, the Bible's pretty clear. If we borrow money, we're to repay it. Third, the Bible, now hear this, the Bible does not forbid the use of debt. Hey, if you ever hear that taught somewhere, that's simply not true. There is nowhere in the Bible that it forbids the use of debt, but it does say it's better not to go into debt. Proverbs seventeen eighteen says this, A man lacking in judgment strikes hands in pledge and puts up security for his neighbor. Now, if you just read that verse at face value and don't think about it, it almost sounds like it's talking about going into debt for our neighbor, doesn't it? And you would think, well, that's a good thing, isn't it? Wouldn't that be kind of like a good Samaritan act to help them out? But if you read this verse in the original language, in the Hebrew that it was written in, here's what it actually says. It says, the man lacking in judgment strikes hands in pledge and makes an agreement for debt in the presence of his neighbor. In other words, a man lacking in judgment or a 
foolish man goes into debt and his neighbor knows about it. Now again, the Bible doesn't forbid the use of debt, but God makes it pretty clear it is not the wisest choice for us to make. Here's a fourth biblical principle. The longest debt in the Bible was seven years. The longest debt that we can find recorded in the Bible where it's given an exact time was seven years. Listen to what Deuteronomy chapter 15 says. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to another Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. Now some of you are thinking, could we go back to that part of the law? Every seven years they'll just write it off and forget it? Well, I think we're missing part of the principle there. I think part of what God was teaching there Don't go into debt that you can't pay off within a certain period of time. Now, I don't think it was a legalistic thing. I don't think the seven years was the magic number there. I think the greater principle here is God is saying, don't go into debt that you can't reasonably pay off in a certain amount of time. Don't go into long-term debt. Don't buy something that you really can't afford and just stretch it out over a long period of time and think, well, I'll pay it off in forever. No, God was saying, you, you calculate. When can I legitimately pay this off? What is the shortest period of time that I can repay this debt? What is the shortest period of time that I can be a, be a servant or a slave to the lender? How quickly can I get out of this debt? You know, we talked about the nation of Israel and their finding themselves in bondage repeatedly. You know what would happen when they would recognize, you know, this isn't such a great way to live? They'd begin to recognize maybe God's way isn't so bad. Maybe doing it God's way would be the better choice. It was a form of repentance. Because they had to realize, you know what, my heart has been wrong about God and what God's asking us to do. And there comes a point for us when it comes to the bondage of death that we have to recognize maybe God's way is better and maybe I've been rather prideful to think that I knew better than God. Now, I think about the Israelites and maybe you've heard the story about them coming out of captivity in Egypt. And, uh, you know, they had been in Egypt as captives for a long period of time and finally Moses uh, comes and the plagues all happen during that time and finally Pharaoh says, get out of my country and they get out of captivity, and you think that it would have been just weeks and months of years of rejoicing. Finally, we are set free. But you know what happened within a matter of days? They began to whine and complain about the process, the journey they were on to reach the promised land that God had promised. And sometimes when you and I start down this path of getting out of the bondage of debt, I have to tell you the journey will be difficult in some ways. And we may be tempted to whine and complain and say, God, this is a lot of effort. This isn't very comfortable for me. But we have to trust in those moments like the Israelites needed to, that God knows what He's doing. And if we will stay on the right path, we will ultimately reach the promised land of financial freedom. And I want to talk just to kind of wrap things up about some simple or very clear steps. I guess they're not simple. But very clear steps that we can take to eliminate debt in our lives. 
The first step is to put God first. To put God first. Now, again, this may require some repentance. And by that I simply mean it may require admitting that God's plan was better than my plan. Swallowing my pride and saying, okay, God, your way's better. And I'm going to pursue your way instead of my way. It means living out the principles that we talked last week about, that God really owns everything and treating my stuff like He really owns it. And it means recognizing that I can't serve the master of money if I'm going to serve God as my master. It means putting God first by giving the first 10% of your income back to Him as a tithe. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. I want you to listen to what David, King David writes in Psalm 37. Now what he writes here, he talks about what happens when we trust God. And he talks about trusting God and then he talks about some of the things that happen, some of the blessings that come from God as a result of us trusting God. I want to read just a little bit of it, but I want to encourage you, go home and read this chapter today and think of it in terms of if I were really to trust God with my finances, what would happen? He says this in Psalm 37, verse 3, Trust in the Lord... And do good. And what will happen? We will dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord. And what happens? He will give you the desires of your hearts. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. And then He says, and He will do this. And if you keep reading there, He tells about the things that He will do if we will really trust Him. If we'll put Him first in the area of our finances, God will honor that. And He'll get us through. Step number two, stop the bleeding. Stop the bleeding. It says in Hebrews 13.5 in the Bible, stay away from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. Remember last week what we did at the end of the service? We figuratively said we need to take out our calendars. We drew a circle around last Sunday and we wrote enough. We sang about it this morning. God, You are enough for me. You and I have to believe that if we're going to take this next step. We've got to kind of be able to draw a line in the sand and say, enough. Stop the bleeding. I am going to stop buying stuff. Most of us go into debt for one reason. We spend more than we make. And we've got to stop that. Not tomorrow, right now. We will never get out of debt if we keep putting things on credit card while we're trying to pay them off. A billionaire Warren Buffett at one time said that if you find yourself in a hole, the first thing to do is stop digging. It may seem overly simple, but if you're serious about eliminating credit card debt in your life, you have got to stop using them. In fact, some of you need to go home and you need to do this exercise. You need to get your credit card out of your wallet and you need to cut them up. Don't come up here and try to put it back together. It's not my credit card. Actually, if you want to put it back together, go ahead now. You know what? Here's another fun exercise. Now, I've never done this, but I've been told it's pretty cool to watch. If you want to, rather than cutting up your credit cards, go home, take out a cookie sheet, spray some Pam on it, lay your credit cards on there, put the oven at about 375, stick them in the oven, and watch those things melt up. Here it's pretty cool. Please don't hold me responsible. I really don't actually know what happens when you try that, but I've heard it looks really cool. So, Point being... You need to stop using them. Do you remember what Jesus said in the, in the New Testament? He was teaching one day, and Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. 
Now, was he teaching mutilation? No, he was teaching, take things that cause you to go wrong seriously. Be decisive. And if that means cutting up your credit cards, then cut them up so that you'll quit using them. Quit letting them affect your life. You know what? Credit cards are not bad as long as you'll do three things. One, pay them off at the end of every month. Secondly, don't use them to buy things that are not in your budget. And third, you make a vow or you and your spouse make a vow that if you go even one month and don't pay off the balance on your credit card, you will take that credit card out and cut it up and get rid of it. Now, if you'll do those things with a credit card, they're okay. But if you just let them control you, they are a dangerous tool. Number three, develop a plan. Develop a plan. Now, you know why you need to develop a plan? Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23, 5 says this, Cast but a glance at riches, and what happens? They are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. That's pretty descriptive, isn't it? If you don't have a plan for spending money, that's about what happens to your money. You cast a glance at it, and it's gone. It flies away. Now, I know we don't like the word budget, do we? But that is exactly what a lot of us need to sit down and do. We need to create a budget. You need to sit down by yourself if you're single, with your spouse if you're married, and you need to write down all your payments, your obligations, all the things you spend money on, and you need to create a plan for spending. And we're going to talk some more about creating a spending plan next week. Number four, pay off your debt. Pay off your debt. And let me just give you some simple ideas of things that you can do to begin to very practically pay off your debt. Number one, while you continue to pay the minimum on any credit card bills that you have, while you continue to pay that minimum, the first thing you need to do is create a savings account. And I'd encourage you, and financial people will tell you, get about $1,000 in that savings account. Now, why do that first? So that as you begin to pay off your credit card systematically, the first time an emergency comes along, where you have to spend some money to fix something around the house or whatever, you've got some savings that hopefully will cover it, and you don't have to go right back to putting more money on the credit card. So the first thing you do is create that savings account. Now, if that means... I don't know what that will mean for you. Be aggressive about it. If it means you need to have a garage sale, have a garage sale. Take all the money and put it in that savings account. If it means you need to sell some other stuff around your house, sell the stuff, put it in the savings account, and build that savings account. But aggressively begin to set aside that money. Secondly, then, you need to make a list of all of your debts. Okay? From the debt that is the largest down to the debt that is the smallest. Okay? This is not my debt, okay? But I thought I'd give you an illustration here of the debt that a lot of Americans seem to carry. Um, so make a list. Biggest debt down to the smallest. Now, maybe you've heard varying things in the past. In the past, financial experts have said, oh, pick out the credit card that has the highest interest rate and pay that one off first. But in reading a variety of different people, here's what is said more often than not these days. You start at the bottom of that list. You pay off the smallest debt first. Okay? For one thing, it'll be the easiest one to have a sense of accomplishment. But secondly, here's what happened. You pay that person off, you take a red line, and you just draw it through there. 
and then you celebrate, okay? For rather for, for a few minutes, or you want to celebrate all day, you celebrate that you paid off one of those debts. Don't go out and spend much money to celebrate. Just celebrate, okay? Then you take the money you were paying on that first credit card, and you put all of your attention on the next biggest debt. And when you've eliminated that one, cross it off and celebrate a little bit. Take all the money and start applying it to the next debt. And when you get that one done, cross it off and celebrate a little bit. And you just keep moving right up the ladder. And Larry Burkett, financial expert, says that any American who really goes to work on this can pay off all of their consumer debt within seven years. Now, wouldn't that be good to know that seven years from now, you could have all of your consumer debt paid off? Now, we're not talking about your mortgage necessarily, although that's possible too. And that wouldn't be a bad thing to start hammering away at. But get rid of first of all of your consumer debt. Eliminate it. And you cannot imagine the freedom that will come in your life. i, I got to tell you, my wife and I do not have a lot of consumer debt. In fact, we have uh, one car loan that we need to pay off. And you know what? For years, my wife has said, we ought to pay that off, don't you think? Don't you think we should work at that? And I'm the person in our house that drags my feet about that. But as I have studied for this, as I've read these principles from the Bible, and I've read some other material, I am absolutely convinced that we are going to eliminate that debt. And um, I sat down, and we're going to work some more on our budget this week. Um, I think we can do it in a year's time. We can absolutely wipe out all of our consumer debt, and it will set us free. And the same thing can happen for you. And I don't know for you whether it's a year or two years or seven years, depending on your debt, but it can happen. And we will be set free. And you, you will not know what it means until you experience that freedom. You know why it's important for us to experience that freedom? Here's just one illustration. Because it will set us free to help others. Let me just use this as an illustration, and I didn't ask them for permission ahead of time, so I hope it's okay. Dave and Mara Pickering are going to head to Bulgaria in just a matter of a few months now. And they have been, for the last couple of years, raising their monthly support, their monthly income when they go over there. And they have been very successful in that, and a large percentage of their income monthly for when they go over there is taken care of. But they also have a significant amount of startup costs that they have to raise, money to get them over there, get them located, get them started in Bulgaria. And the last time I talked to them, there was still a pretty significant amount of money that they needed to raise for that. Now, you know what? If you and I, first of all, if we hear their need, probably all of our hearts would go, boy, I really would like to help them with that. But you know what holds most of us back? The fact that we are in financial bondage ourselves because we have so much consumer debt. If we were set free from that, and we shared a need like Dave and Mara's and said they need X number of dollars. Our church alone probably could, within a matter of a couple of weeks, write them a check from the money that you and I could give that would cover all their startup costs, several thousands of dollars. You know what would make the difference? What would make us able to do that? If we were set free from the bondage of debt in our lives, it would set us free to be able to help other people and to not have to live as a slave to debt. And I don't know about you, but I have realized it would be much better to live according to God's plan and to eliminate debt in my life and be set free from that bondage. God, let's, let's pray. God, would You help us? Would You 
set us free. God, it will not necessarily be an easy journey to get there. And so would you help us every step along the way just to be reminded that you're leading us to the promised land of financial freedom. God, would you help us to have perseverance to keep going? God, for a lot of us, would you just help us to have the drive, the persuasion to make the decision to take the first steps to begin to eliminate debt in our lives and to align our finances with your plan God, so that we would be set free. We'd be set free to be able to help others. We'd be set free to do all kinds of things with our finances. God, would you work in our hearts to do that? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.